0: you will be surprised at the grace you have as you simply encourage and pray for and care for those in need that's radical contagious engagement that is gospel driven welcome to first and foremost a weekly broadcast of first presbyterian church in the heart of downtown greenville Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. This morning we are continuing our series of studies called the Contagious Church, and we're turning to Ephesians chapter 4. We're reading from verses 11 to verse 16. The Apostle Paul has written the church to the church in Ephesus, And he himself has been arrested for his faith. He's about to go on trial for his faith, and he's writing to encourage the folks in Ephesus. And so we're breaking into chapter 4, at verse 11. And talking of Christ, he writes, "'It was he who gave some to be apostles, and some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service.'" speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is, Christ. And from Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His holy Word. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. Have you ever found yourself in the position where you really, really, really wanted something so badly that it occupied almost your every waking moment? And you just longed for it, were passionate about it, wanted to have it. And it may have been something along the lines of a home And it may be that over the last four or five years, you've noticed a home not too far from where you currently live, and you think that would be perfect. It's the right size, the right number of bedrooms, the right size of garden. It's in the right school area for the children. If I was driving to work each morning, it would be so much easier to get on the main highway than where I currently am. I would just love to have that home. And when the home comes up for sale, you realize that you just can't afford it usually over the next couple of days you begin to plot and plan and scheme and think how can i do this instead of taking a 25 year mortgage maybe if i took a 30 year mortgage maybe the bank would smile on me and if i asked around and all those kind of plans go through your head hold that thought for a moment let me take you back to 1929 the 1929 the great depression hit the united states It was so bad that it infected the entire world. Here in the U.S., unemployment rose to an unprecedented level of 25%. People were losing their jobs, their homes, their families, had to live on the streets. It was a serious economic downturn. So much, so bad, in fact, it was called, as you know, the Great Depression. It affected everyone across the world. And in South Central Texas, a farmer, Mr. Yates, was impacted by the Depression. And he was really struggling to make both the principal and the interest payments on his mortgage for his farm, his home. And for months he had been thinking, as a family, we are just not going to make this. He applied to the government for a subsidy, which he was subsequently given, and that gave him an extra couple of months. When he looks back on the story, he writes that he would walk across his farm at night praying and saying, Father, where are you in the midst of all of this? We simply will not survive. And then right out of the blue, one day an oil company sent a drilling crew to his farm. Seismographic crew turned up. They asked if they could do some experimental drilling. After a couple of weeks, they said, we think there's some oil here. Let's look at the possible contracts. And he, of course, passed it on to some lawyers. He looked at mineral rights, water rights, oil rights, etc., etc. And he somewhat grudgingly signed the contract thinking, this is leading nowhere, but anything is better than nothing. And at 1150 feet, they discovered one of the largest oil reserves that this particular company had ever encountered. Within six months, it was producing 80,000 barrels of oil a day. Within 12 months, another three uh, drilling rigs were set up, and they found more oil. He was a multi-millionaire living in poverty. Now think of the impact it had on Mr. Yates and his family. In those early initial days, he was just dismissing it, saying it's not going to amount to much. There's nothing there. If oil was here, I would have known about it. And also think of the impact it had on his life when suddenly there were resources that he could not previously have really gotten his arms around. Now, last Sunday morning, when we were in the fourth of our series of looking at Contagious Church, we found ourselves focused in the epistle of Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. And verse 3 said this, and if you were with us, you'll remember, talking of God, it said this, He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Last Sunday morning, we were looking at that principle under the overall heading of a contagious calling. And today, as we turn to Ephesians, our overall title this morning is this, Not so much contagious calling, but contagious engagement. And when the Apostle Paul writes Ephesians chapter 4, he has spent the first three chapters talking about the transcendent majesty and glory and wonder of God. And then Paul does what Paul always does in his New Testament epistles. He focuses initially on the vertical And then he turns to the practical, the everyday, and the horizontal. And over these last four or five weeks, that's exactly the pattern we have been following. On our first Sunday together, we asked the question, what does a contagious church really look like? What does a church look like where people are excited to be a part of it? They're fully engaged with all that's going on. They can't wait to see God at work. And that Sunday we said this, that when you're looking for a contagious church, it will always be a place of grace, a place of learning, but first and foremost, it will always be a place of engagement with God. Now, if you're visiting First Presbyterian this morning, not only do I want to give you a warm welcome, but I want to reassure you of this. that when we gather on a Sunday morning, one of the principal acts of our worship is to open up this book and study it and learn of God in order to apply it and become more Christ-like in our daily living. If you come to First Presbyterian, be ready to engage with the living God. That's our first principle. Our second Sunday together, we asked, what does a contagious church look like in terms of our worship? And the tagline I wanted you to take away that Sunday was this, that worship is not so much something we do, it's not so much an activity as it's part of our identity identity. It's who we are. Having been impacted by Him, having had our hearts captivated by Him, having had our life significantly transformed by Him and drawn into a relationship of love and grace, we naturally want to worship Him. It becomes an excitement for us. And on Sunday mornings, we're always going to do that. Third thing we looked at, and we've had four Sundays, today's our fifth, I'm not going to go through them all. But thirdly, we looked at godly leadership. and We said that morning that godly leadership is birthed and grows in a godly relationship. So for the past four Sundays, we've been looking at the vertical, a relationship with God, our worship of God, our engagement with Him. And now today we're doing what Paul does And we're turning in another direction and we're moving from the vertical to the horizontal. And that's what takes place in chapter 4. The first three chapters of Ephesians are so profound, so wonderful, you find your heart and mind and soul soaring heavenwards as you engage those early chapters. And Paul, and some New Testament commentators have rightly said this, Paul has been so intentional in his writing, chapters 1 to 3 are truth set to music. They are so good. It is doctrine that sings. That's the first three chapters. And as you come into chapter 4, there's almost that sense of you can't wait to see what's coming next. And so come with me into the chapter. There's a couple of verses we didn't get to in our reading. Let me highlight them quickly, and I'll move on. And notice how he begins chapter 4. He writes, as a prisoner for the Lord, Paul was writing from a Roman prison cell, and he's reminding the folks in Ephesus where he is, and he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In other words, he's saying to them this, your life should reflect the call of God. Your walk must equal your talk. Live that kind of life. And so he's encouraging them to do exactly that. And then at verse 7, he reminds them that they don't do it under their own strength. And notice what he says in verse 7. He says this, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And so if you're tempted to say, Richard, I hear what you're saying. I'm in broad agreement with what you're saying. But it's been some time, quite honestly, since I have been on fire for Christ. I found myself turning up to church recently almost out of habit, almost out of duty. I'm just coming for the sake of coming. And if that's you this morning, let me encourage you, please, to listen carefully and engage with what's coming next. Because here is Paul saying to you and the folks back in Ephesus and to everyone this morning, he has given you the grace you need to live for Him. He's saying to them, spiritually speaking, you are a multi-millionaire. Remember Peter last week? He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And if you remember the last part of the verse that's so important, through our knowledge of Him. And that's where Paul has been in these first three chapters and the early part of chapter 4. And now he takes us a stage stage further, moving from the vertical to the horizontal. And he writes, verse 12, excuse me, verse 11. It was he, talking of Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets some to be evangelists, and some to pastors and teachers. And he says he has given grace to them to prepare God's people for works of service. That's our first major point this morning. Why has he given us grace? He has given us grace not simply in drawing us into a relationship with him, not simply to transform us and renew us and bring us into that intimacy with Him, but He has also given us grace to serve. Some of you coming from a Baptist background will know this phrase, you are saved in order to serve. And that's exactly where it comes from, this passage. And when Paul writes to prepare God's people, that phrase prepare can also be translated to equip Look at it again. He has given us grace to equip God's people for works of service. Now, over the last 18 months, a number of you will know that as a congregation, we have been engaged in our strategic planning process. And we surveyed initially over 700 members in the congregation. During that time, we've had a strategic planning leadership team in place. We've been building small ad hoc groups who have been developing ministry imperatives and ministry initiatives. And one of the things we've come back to again and again and again is this. The major question that continues to surface is this. How do we prepare and equip ourselves to engage in radical, gospel-driven, personal relationships. Now, hold that thought. Let me give you an illustration to try and shine light on the principle, and it's this. If you're a parent, a grandparent, or a great-grandparent, there is every possibility That when a new baby came into your family and you held that wee one for the first time and you looked down and smiled and were absolutely had your heart captivated by that wee one, that night before you went to sleep, there is every possibility you prayed for that child. And you probably prayed, Father, thank you for this child thank you that I will get the chance to know them and love them. And I ask that you gather them up in your arms of love and grace, hold them close to you. May they come to know you and walk with you and love you and worship you, and the rest of their days they will know the thrill and excitement of walking with you. And if you are a parent or a grandparent or a great-grandparent, you know that you didn't pray that night and then forget about it forever thereafter. But when they changed from liquid soups to solid food, you prayed for them. When they started to walk, you prayed for them. The first time they rode their bicycle and there was no training wheels, you prayed for them. You prayed for them when they went to nursery and then into elementary and then into high school and then off to college. And if you have adult children, you still haven't stopped praying for them, and you never will. Now, that's an illustration of what it means to engage in radical gospel-driven relationships because you do it by caring. You do it by Praying, You do it by building a relationship and looking out for them and telling them how much you love them and how much you are proud of them. And then, of course, you say, is there anything I can do to help? And all of that is wrapped up here in the Apostle Paul's writing. And he's saying to the church at Ephesus, if you are ever to be the contagious church that God longs for you to be, please remember this, He has giving you the grace that you need. And he's giving you that grace, for verse 12, to equip and prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up and grow. And then notice what he adds in verse 13 and 14. Now It's crucial that you get this. So if you've got your Bible, look at it with me. Verse 13, he says, "...may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." And then he takes it a step further, and notice what he says in 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Then he jumps down to verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head now there are so much packed in there and that's typical of paul in ephesians every sentence every phrase there is so much there but the two principles i want to draw out are this maturity and growing in your faith that's the main emphasis around this passage he equips us to serve and when we serve we grow as we serve we become mature that's the point he's making now a week passed yesterday, it was Saturday afternoon. It was a pretty miserable and dreek afternoon. It was dull and overcast and very wet. And typically on a Saturday, I get to my desk, sometimes eight fifteen, eight thirty, and I work through till the first draft of my sermon is finished. That usually takes around 2.45, 3 o'clock. That's exactly what happened. And I had been pretty intense for the last five or six hours, writing, reading, praying, thinking, reading again, praying again. And at 3 o'clock, I was dead done, just exhausted. And I thought, well, what can I do to break away for a couple of hours? And across the road from us, and many of you know this, lives a six-year-old. She's about this height. Her name is Gray. She's the cutest thing in the world. And I text her mum, and I said to her, uh, is Gray coming out to play? And she text back and said, yeah, she's available. She's been locked in all day. If you can take her, she will just love it. So I went across the road and invited Grey to come over. And earlier in June or July, she'd had her birthday. She turned six. Ruth and I bought her a DVD of Paddington Bear. It was a new film that had come out at the time. So I said do you want to come over and we can sit together and watch Paddington because I hadn't seen it and I was desperate to see it. And so she came over, uh, she had her backpack and all her bits and pieces uh, and she came in, took off her Crocs and her jacket and she hung them up in her usual place and I sat down on the big chair and I kicked it back and put my feet up and she popped up onto my lap and we sat there for 90 minutes watching Paddington. And it was just wonderful having that time with her. And about five minutes into watching the movie, Miss Ruth comes in and she has a large Tupperware and inside the Tupperware are three or four other bowls. And in the bowls are gastronomic delights. Gummy bears, chocolate raisins, malt balls, popcorn, it was all there. We had a great time. And when we were finished, I took her back home. And of course, when I go back, I've got to report what she's eaten. So I listed them all off and Gray is looking up at her mom and her dad and she says, mom, could Dr. Gibbons come for a sleepover some night? (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, this is what, could it possibly get any better? Because at six years old, there was nothing more exciting than having someone come for a sleepover. And her dad kind of looked at her and looked at me and looked back at her and looked at mom. And he came up with a bit of diversion. And he said, well, honey, I'm not sure that Dr. Gibbons would like to come over because he would miss Ruth so much that in the middle of the night, he'd want to go back. And so she thought, well, okay. And then I could see the light bulb go on and she said... Maybe I could go for a sleepover at Dr. Gibbon's house. (laughs) Now, I'm telling you that story because here was a six-year-old acting like a six-year-old. She wasn't behaving as a 2-year-old or a 16-year-old. And 16-year-olds don't behave like 36-year-olds. And 36-year-olds don't behave like 16-year-olds. Because we know there is the natural growth and development as you mature. And when our children go to school, we will hear parents and grandparents all the time saying they're like little sponges. They're drinking it all in. They're growing so quickly. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying when you grow and mature in your faith, it should be the natural outcome of a spiritual income. And that's why he's gone to great pains to say you have the spiritual income. He's given you all the grace you need. Now from the vertical, let it flow out to the horizontal. He has equipped you and enabled you for contagious engagement. And what you discover is this, that when you begin to serve Him, you grow and you develop your faith. Now, as we bring all of this to a close this morning, let me give you a challenge. And here is the challenge I want you to have and to take home with you today. It's this, that if we are called to be a contagious church, who have as a priority in our Christian lives to be equipped and prepared for radical, gospel-centered, personal relationships, may be this evening, before you go off to sleep, your final prayer for today should be this. Father, enable me, please to see the people you are bringing into my life this week. People who are grieving and hurting and fearful and uncertain. Give me the opportunity just to put my arm around them and tell them I'm thinking of them, I love them, I'm praying for them. Is there anything I can do to help? That's where radical personal investment and engagement with others makes a difference. And that's why it was important in Ephesus. That's why it's important today, because there is no substitute for it. In fact, last Sunday night, and you will have heard me say this, that, in fact, it was two weeks ago now, when I had new members over to my home, I asked them a couple of questions. And I asked them who they are, and what is their background, and do they have children, and so on, and where is their walk with Christ. And I also asked them this question, what brought you to First prayers?" And usually there's a couple of answers. The number one is this. We've come and we've stayed because you spend time in the Scriptures on a Sunday morning, and I need my soul nourished and fed, and I want to grow. And then the second part, and I will say, but what brought you in the first place? And 80 to 85% will say this. Well, I know so-and-so, and they'll give me someone's name personal connection should never be discounted, because people will examine your life long before they will listen to anything you've got to say. And when you're living a life for Christ, that is contagious engagement. You have first and foremost engaged with Him in the vertical, and now you're reaching out to the horizontal. And please remember this, You have everything you need for life and godliness. He has given you the grace. And when you're a little uncertain about reaching out to the guy three doors up who lost his job six months ago and is really struggling... He will appreciate you making the effort. And you may be saying, Richard, I wouldn't know what to say. Or you might say, there's a guy in my office whose wife is terminally ill, and I don't know what to say. I'm just embarrassed and I'm uncertain. Folks, forget all of the embarrassment. Make the effort, and you will be surprised at the grace you have as you simply encourage and pray for and care for those in need. That's radical, contagious engagement that is gospel-driven. May that be a living reality for us this week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this passage of Scripture. It never fails that on a Sunday morning we open up your word and you speak to us and challenge us. Some weeks you comfort us and remind us of your goodness and love. Father, help us, please, in our own circles of influence. Equip us, prepare us to engage in radical, gospel-driven personal relationships where others can see you in us. Father, bless us this week as we seek to move from the vertical to the horizontal and to live for Christ each day. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Join us for the first Presbyterian Academy Fall Festival on Friday, October 30th from 5 to 8 in downtown Greenville. Kids in preschool through middle school will enjoy games, inflatable, zoom ball, laser tag, hot dogs, shaved ice by nomadic few, and much more. There's a silent auction and casserole sale for parents and music by the North Greenville University Bluegrass Band. Admission is free with ticketed activities. For details and directions, visit firstpresgreenville.org or call 864-235-0122.